Welcome to our weekly and weekly Wednesday night year. As in the past few weeks, we've been dedicating the past months to the name of, in, in memory of Aram Baruch Halevi, Ben Rabbi and Emilia Bassar. Uh, we've reached a milestone. Pesach. Until now, Shirim, leading up to Pesach, we've reached Pesach, Baruch Hashem. This Friday night in Meitz Hashem is the first Seder, and for <coughs> us in, outside of Eretz Yisrael, known as Chutz Laaretz, there will be a second Seder on Saturday night. This Seder. Whoops. My mistake. The Pesach Seder. A family, a time for family, a time when family gets together, a time when family bonds, some cases a time when family kill each other. I don't want to sit next to him. Do not put me next to this one. No way. Last year, their kids sat next to my kids, and oh man, it was really a catastrophe. So, oh, oh, I did it again. I'm so sorry. Seder. Mm-hmm. Oh no. Someone get the door, please. The Passover Seder. We'll still discuss all the different relations, relatives, people that come to the Seder. Someone open the door, please. There's no reaction. I don't know what to do. <clears throat> the holiday of Passover is commemoration the Jews being liberated from the land of Egypt. I don't understand what's going on here. Can someone please open the door? holiday of Passover the Jews left Egypt the Jews were slaves in Egypt throughout their servitude they were tortured They were treated as slaves. And the Almighty appears to Moshe, we know the entire story, 
dialogue of the Almighty preparing to Moshe to see to it to free my Jews from the land. He just left it there. In the Pasuk, in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, in Devanim, Perik Dalit, Pasuk Lamid Dalit, chapter 4, verse 34, and also in the Haggadah Shal Pesach, the miracle of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim is known to us as Lokachas Goyi, <coughs> the Almighty took to Himself a nation from within another nation. So not enough that Chag Pesach is the first of the holidays. There are three times a year the Jews were obligated to go to see to visit the Holy Temple. Chag Hamatzis, Chag Asukes, Chag Asukes, The holiday of Passover, the holiday of Shavuos, and the holiday of Sukkot. Three times a year, the Jews were obligated to come together to bring sacrifices that were relevant to the holiday sacrifices that one had committed to over a certain time whether it had been a sin offering whether it had been a shlomim, a peace offering whatever, whatever sacrifice one had committed to bring usually one did not make a trip randomly but this was saved up shall we say for the Shalish Regolim, for the three holidays. Oddly, they're not spaced properly. Chag Pesach is the month of Nisan, which is the month that we are in, of course, starting on the 15th day of Nisan. Chag Shavuiz is in Sivan, Nisan Ir and Sivan, Nary seven weeks later, exactly as a matter of fact, because we count seven weeks from Passover to Shuiz. Pesach commemorating the leaving of Egypt, and Shuiz, as we know, commemorating the receiving of the Torah on Hasdinai. Then we go through the summer, through almost the entire Sivan, Tammuz, Av, Elul, then comes Tishrei, the fifth month, and at the end of the fifth month, the second half of the fifth month, is the holiday of Sukkot. But the cycle then begins only six months later. So, whereas you have a span of six months, three of the holidays, the other six months you have none. So it was sometimes, or oftentimes, that on Chag Pesach most people came to visit because most of the sacrifices that were amassed over the six months' time they needed to make up and compensate. So Chag as we said, 
not only the first of the three holidays, but rather it's the foundation of the three holidays. Leaving of Egypt was actually the Shlav. It was the era that prepared for 49 days later the receiving of the Torah. On Kagash Royce. And in Sukkot as well, we celebrate the leaving of Egypt, the departure of Egypt. As we say, Kiva Sukkot, Heishavti Esmene Yisrael, Bahitzi Eisam Me'eretz Mitzrayim. For in Sukkot, I dwelled the Eden, the Jews settled as I took them out of Egypt. And in commemoration of that journey that the Jews had in the desert, in commemoration of that, because they were enclosed in clouds, representing the sukkah, we then celebrate the sukkahs. The main point, though, of Chaga Pesach, the holiday of Passover, is Man Cheruseinu, the time of our freedom. It's a time where the Jews literally left Egypt. They left from servitude to freedom and became a nation of its own, its own entity. And we see this in the Torah, as we said before, we quoted the Pasuk. We'll give you the whole Pasuk now. Hanisa Lekim Lavoy the Kachaslay Goy Mikerev Goy. It's a, an achievement, an accomplishment of God to come and take one nation from amongst the nation. How? All different wonders and miracles. Like all that that the Almighty had done in front of your own eyes. In Egypt. But we say something very interesting here. The expression that's used is Goy Mikerev Goy, a nation amongst another nation. That tells us how significant it was that the Jews left Egypt. The concept of Goy Mikerev Goy, a nation within a nation, is twofold. From one part, it tells us the fact. The Jews that were in Egypt were a nation. They were, in essence, their own entity. For they were a Goy within a nation. They were a nation within another nation. And we saw the Jews spoke their own language. They lived in the land of Goshen, which was theirs. They kept their garments that were special that Jews wear. They were different than the Egyptians. But yet, on the other hand, 
they were not just goy al yad goy, a nation next to another nation, but rather goy mikerev goy, from within another nation. The Jews were very, very entrenched in the Egyptian culture, in the Egyptian lifestyle, in the Egyptian idol worships. And our sages compare this to the infant in the mother's womb. Speaking of infants in the mother's womb, I'd like to reach out and say Mazel Tov tonight to one of our weekly participants of the year, uh, Ronan and his wife Yafit, on the birth of their little baby girl last night. Mazel Tov to them. They have a lot of nakas from her and from their other children, Yocheved and Yonatan. Comparison to an infant in the mother's womb. The infant in the mother's womb develops. And at one point in time, towards delivery, it has a head, it has hands, feet, it has all different body parts. But the truth is, although it's an existing entity that lives within the womb of the mother, and every so often punches and kicks the womb of the mother, however, it doesn't go anywhere where the mother doesn't go. The mother, take wherever the mother does go, it follows. It has to go with. Also, whatever the mother eats, it has to eat. It can't say, uh uh, broccoli, no thanks. Whatever goes into the mother's bloodstream, through the placenta, however it works, the child is fed. So, although the child is a child of its own, a person of its own, an entity of its own, it's still totally reliant and dependent on the mother. This too was the situation of the Jews in Egypt. From one side, they were a nation. A lot of action. They were a nation amongst nations. amongst the other nations amongst the Egyptians but yet they lived the culture as we said and they looked similar and they acted similar and they they served the same idols
What was their freedom? The freedom from the actual... What happened there? The freedom as if from the womb of the mother. Okay, welcome back. The freedom of the womb of the mother by bringing the carbon Pesach. By the Jewish nation bringing the carbon Pesach, they were told to take for the carbon Pesach the shepsel, the sheep. This sheep was the idol of Egypt. Being the idol of Egypt, it was quite a feat to all of a sudden pick up and bring this, slaughter it, eat it. They were sending a tremendous message of detachment from Egypt, from the Egyptians. They slaughtered the god, the idol that the Egyptians worshipped. This was their first breakthrough. Their first disconnect Mm -hmm. that they had from the Egyptians. They disconnected in such a way This, though, is a story almost in the Torah. It sounds like a story in the Torah. Why do we repeat the story? Why do we relive the story? Why do we celebrate the story? And the answer is a simple one. Because the end, the essence of this freedom, this breaking away, each and every person compares themselves and their daily life. A person looks at himself and says, I am a slave. I do so many things wrong. I do such horrible things. Because I have my own yearnings. I have my own thoughts of what I want to do. When they deeply, they look into it deeply, and they realize that in essence, their entire existence is still connected through this umbilical cord, I'm still a slave. I'm a slave to my surroundings. So we're going to talk about this later. I'm enslaved by the, my, by the nations around me. By their culture, by their music, by their lifestyle, by their clothing. By their food. It's so much more interesting than ours. I mean... 
look at a good roll of sushi with some non-kosher fish in it compared to a kishka in the chont. Huh. How could you compare it even? We have to eat this kishka in the chont. We have to eat this piece of kugel. We have to eat this type of knish. Look how many wonderful delicacies there are in the world, in the non-Jewish world. And we are sacrificing. And the same thing with their entertainment. The person considers himself a free person. And the person thinks, I can go out there and I can live like they live. I can blend in. I can blend in with the people. I can coexist with the people. I can do what they do. Look how much more interesting their culture is, their sports, their music more than the Jewish music that we are subjected to. Those few handful of Jewish stars that we have to worship. Or look at even the music of yesteryear, the tunes, the melodies that our forefathers cherished. The soul-jerking melodies or the upbeat song of joy. Look how people, this tells us, the Chassidim used to say, that the Alter Rebbe, the first Chabad Rebbe, would very often time put his head in his hand and would meditate with his eyes closed. He would meditate about a certain subject and he would hum a tune. And the tune was so profound that one could actually know what he was thinking from the tune that he was humming. The tune actually came from the depths of his soul. And therefore, it penetrated many, many a souls, many a hearts. I've told the story before about the tune of Tehillim. The children in Yeshiva, children of yesteryear, continuously continued with the same tune in which they said Tehillim. And this was something that I did as a child in our school. We went to school in Tishira. And my father did and his father did. Generations this tune has been embedded within our religion. And the story is told of a group of children, which I've told the story before, but such a powerful story. A group of children that were hidden away in a barn at the far off end of a field. 
during the Holocaust, during the war, during World War II. And there was one boy, a, a little bigger, maybe 11, maybe 10, maybe 12. And he knew to go out each night, and he used to go out and find scraps of something in, in the fields or in whatever the garbage cans that he was able to find. And he brought back sustenance for all the other little children. And all day the children would sit very, very quietly, a fear of bringing attention to themselves. And at night they slept. So yes, it was an extremely painful time. But yes, they were alive. Then one dreaded day, they hear at the other end of the field sounds of motors, engines roaring. And they look and they see coming into the field a whole squadron of German soldiers. And they could tell that someone was standing there with binoculars looking out at the, at the, the little shed, this little barn. And they said, we have to go investigate, we have to go check this out. The children started to cry. They were so frightened. And this oldest child, this big boy, said, Kindalach, let us daven. Let us pray to Hashem. And they said, but we haven't got a siddur, we know no prayers by heart. Let us say to heal him, children. I said, I don't know any of the words of Tehillim, Susan. But we know the tune that we sang it. Let's sing the tune. Let's hum the tune. And they sat and they started. And this went on and on as they began to shed tears with the tune of the Tehillim suddenly someone noticed as if they got a call on their radios or their whatever they had that there was an emergency of some sort and the entire squadron made a U-turn and ran the opposite direction the tune of the Tehillim saved that night that entire barn of Jewish children. This is the power of the melody of the Jewish melody. This is the power that is trans- that transpires, that transforms, that brings down, that brings to us the song and the beauty of the inner soul heard from the Jewish music but we are still servants we are still connect, we are avodim in this bitter, bitter exile and somehow that song of Klippa reaches us it attracts us it grabs us around our neck
And it says, listen to me. Hear me. Become one with me. And ironically, because we are in Golos, we find pleasure in it. We enjoy it. Our Neshama is inside begging and pleading, stop, stop! But we are slaves. We are still in the servitude of Mitzrayim. Chag Pesach gives us the strength to free ourselves from this. The first thing is to slaughter their God. The first step is to eradicate their Avedizadas, to wipe out their idol worships, starting with their music, starting with their culture, starting with their garments, starting with everything else that one tries to blend into society. To slaughter this, to hold ourselves back, to refrain from what goes on in the world and the physical attractions that it presents and to reach and to recognize the true servitude that we need to have, the servitude to God. And the Gemara, if you keep your score at home, in Kedushin, Chav Beis, Amit Beis, 22, side 2, Velay Avadim Avadim. Servants to God, but not servants to servants. And to start with ourselves. Each and every one of us, pulling, pulling ourselves out of these trenches, pulling ourselves away from these different attractions, or shall we call them distractions, to service of Hashem. What the Taylor tells us, the Haggadah, the Haggadah writes, Every generation, the person needs to, and the Altarebbe brings this down in the Tanya. And it's one of the twelve Pesukim that the children are told to memorize. Every generation, one needs to see themselves leaving Egypt. Today. Chag Pesach, as we said, one of the names, Chag Pesach, Chag and Zman Cheiru Seinu. The Tehidah also commands us to remember constantly our leaving to freedom. As the Chazal tell us, the Alter Rebbe writes in Perik Mem Zayin, Tanya, Every day, every generation, every generation, every day, and is obligated to see as himself is leaving Egypt today. Every time, at all times, the Jew needs to leave to freedom. Here is a question. This is a little awkward here. Each thing that we say about freedom, leaving of Egypt, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Almighty, frees us from the servitude to Pare. For what? For him to be a servant, so for us to be a servant to him. The Pasuk says, When I took you out of Egypt, 
to serve God. And that is the sole purpose that God takes us out of Egypt. Till then we were servants in Egyptians, and from once we left Egypt, we turned over a new contract, which was, became servants to God. Tata is very, very burdensome. On the outlook, we're told we're becoming slaves. Not freedom, not independence, but servants to God. And what is the manual, what is the book that teaches us how to do that? That is the Tata. Let's understand what freedom really is. Freedom is a very beautiful concept. But there are four elements. The Daimim Semeach Chaim Let's look at the Daimim. Let's look at the Tzemeach. What freedom does it have? When we are restricted and we have conditions of how to grow, this plant cannot grow unless it has good land, good earth, good soil, water, air, light, etc. When it has all the proper conditions for growing, it can grow. But this tells us that it needs to have all these restrictions. So when you're talking about something that's live, the live person cannot suffice just by bread and water. Cannot suffice by being restrained in one place. They need to move. They need to explore. So, freedom in his eyes is when the free free person can roam. Can roam from place to place. Can go freely from garden to garden. That's freedom by a person. Telling the person, locking the person into a room will not help. But this is not what the person sees as freedom. If you would give a person everything they need physically, but you will not give them any spiritual food, any spiritual life, any intellectual connection, person is a slave. The person in essence would be a slave. Mm. What gives the person 
freedom. What gives a person a life when the person can actually find and do soul search and do his own search and do his own connections? But this freedom, this human freedom, as great as we're just talking about, doesn't do anything for our neshama. The Jewish soul, the Jewish soul of each and every Jew, which is a chelik eleka mimal mamish, which is a part of God, literally, even whilst in the body, it's bound with HaKadosh Baruch So what does it understand to be freedom? When one can connect stronger with the Torah and its mitzvahs. We find the Mishnah in Pekiovitz, which we're about to start after Pesach, Perik Vov Mishnah Beis. Ein lecha ben chayin elamish esik betalmateira. There is no such thing as a free person except for somebody that involves themselves with learning of Torah. That's the only true freedom. The Torah to a Jew, a Torah lehudi kamei mayim b'avodog. If you keep his score at home, the Gemara brachis. Samach Aleph Amid Beis 61, side 2. Teda to a Jew is like water to a fish. It's not a yoke. It's not a troublesome, burdensome issue. It's the way of life. Just like the fish needs to float in the water needs to sustain itself and live in the water, so too the Jew's life exists through the Teda, to doing its mitzvahs. This is a true Jewish life. Because, Kiheim chayenu v'erech yamenu. This is our life, and this lengthens our days. HaKadosh Baruch Hu created the Jew in this form. His etzim, his essence, is simple. He's obligated to keep Torah and Mitzvahs. Not forcing you, you're not servitude to it. The opposite. It's your lifeline. Ani levresi leshamesh eskoini at the end of Masech, this condition we learn. I was created to serve my master, the Almighty God. Here we then reach to the true concept of freedom. The giving 
of a of the essence of the Jewish person. By each and every Jew, their true essence is their neshama. Their true freedom is when they can serve God with all their might and attach themselves to Him. And something that is in the eyes of the person, like a yoke, by the Jew, this is their lifeline. This is actually their true freedom. I'd like to turn a little bit of focus now that we've con- like, got the contemplations, mm-hmm. understandings, and considerations of the holiday itself. I'd like to focus a little bit on the Haggadah. The Haggadah is a book that's been written many, many years ago. and has been given over generation to generation. And in it, there are many, many esoterical secrets. Let us go not to the beginning of the Haggadah, which although from the beginning would be the ideal place to start, We say right in the beginning, basically, in the If the Almighty would not have taken us out of Egypt, our children, our great grandchildren, our all our future generations would have been would have remained. Slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt. You're telling me Pharaoh was going to live so long? Hamake. So therefore, there are those commentaries that take out the word Pharaoh, and therefore, even though Pharaoh means the king generally. This concept of a pharaoh no longer exists. So the Balagoda would take that out. In some Agodas, you'd find it was out. Shabbatim Yinulim Mitzrayim. But most Agodas say, the Pharaoh Mitzrayim. And that is, in essence, the correct way. But Pharaoh would not be alive that long. The Yalka tells us. Pari did not just rule a little land of Egypt. He ruled the entire world, from one end to the other, as they knew it. Why? All for the glory of the Jews. How so? For when the Jews left Egypt, his entire shlita was nullified. And from this we understand if the Jews would have remained in Egypt 
the Egypt would have still been the Mitzrayim Limshel Bekeeper. So the fact that Pari was no longer, we no longer call the king of Egypt a pharaoh because he was deflated. He was taken off his greatness. And thereafter, they had their ups and downs. They had their valleys and mountains. And there were times that they were captured in their own rights. They themselves were slaves. But had the Jews remained slaves in Egypt? Then the Egypt, then Egypt itself would have stayed and remained at its great its great name, its great existence. Till today. And therefore, we say the word Shem Hamelach, Shem Pare. Because had we stayed there, had we not left, we would have still been servants to Pare. He still would have been a Pare. We said, us, our children, our grandchildren. Why everybody? We're saying, if we would have remained servants, we learned in the sect of Sachim, Perigyud Mishnei, which I said before. The person has an obligation to see himself leaving Egypt. So what are you adding? That our future generations would remain servants. A tremendous secret here is mentioned, is revealed. Of how the Jews need to keep the Torah. Starting with The simple freedom from the land of Egypt. Not only a physical redemption, as we said, but a redemption, a spiritual one. A spiritual one from all the impurities of Egypt. So that the Jews can go out, receive the Torah, and serve God. And that's why we say the Haggadah. When is a person considered a Ben-Khairin? When his children and his future generations all stand up, all follow 
in the ways of their fathers, in the ways of God, then a person is actually a free person. If God forbid the children are not following the way we have taught them, if God forbid the children are not where they belong, not doing what they need to do, One second, what I do here now. Sorry, okay. Then yes, we are still servants. And that's why he adds, our grandchildren even. Because the education that we give our children needs to be in total devotion and dedication till we know that also their children will continue in that way. And they will continue to educate their children that way. And that all your future generations will be so. And if you keep your score on the Gemara Bab Metziah, pay hey Amit Beis, 85, side 2. Omer of Parnach, Omer of Yechanan. Kol Shu Talmud Chokhum, Benay Talmud Chokhum, Ben Benay Talmud Chokhum, Shuv, Ain Tayrep, Sekhus, Mizar and Elam. Anyone that is a, a scholar, a Torah scholar, and his son is a Torah scholar, and his grandson is three generations of Torah scholars, Torah will never leave that family. As we say, Vanisa is Berisi, Layamushu, Picham, Mizarachum, Mizarazarachum. Omar Hashem, Yatrabadilam. The Bible says, from now and forever. What did Hashem say? Akalish Baruch said, Ani Arev Lechab, Dabar Azeh. What is me'atta be'adilum from now to ever? Amr Abiria, mikan ve'elach teira machzeres alachsanya shalom. Teira henceforth will always return to this hotel, to this inn. Then we discussed in the Haggadah Where he says, and he finds out afterwards that what is it? Chazal tell us, Lahovi Kol The words Kol teach us about the days of Mashiach. It doesn't say Lerabais to extend to, to teach us, to add to us. It says, Lahovi, to bring us the Mashiach. We need to learn a lesson how to serve God from this. A person thinks they can sit with their arms crossed and say, I'm waiting for Mashiach. I'm saying, I'm waiting for Mashiach. Let him come ready. But kol all the days of your life, everything that involves in your life, every service that you do, every nuance, every music note that you listen to, every morsel of food that you taste, every word you express yourself with, whether it be Lashon Hara 
or sometimes an insulting word that you say to somebody. This needs to be totally engraved and recognizable that the person is acting in order to bring Mashiach. Lahavi limaysa Mashiach made of to bring Mashiach. We don't suffice ourselves by saying and sitting there complacently with our hands crossed and saying, "Okay, Mashiach, I'm waiting for you." But rather, we need to constantly involve ourselves in everything that we do. We need to concentrate that this is helping to bring Mashiach. Not closer, but to bring Mashiach. The Balagoda tells us about our guests at the table of the Seder. There are four sons, says the Tera. Echad Chacham, Echad Rasha, Echad Tom, Echad Sheni Deyadishayu. The wise son and the wicked son. The simple son and the one that cannot ask. This doesn't, doesn't ride. Chacham is an intellectual child. What is the opposite of the intellectual child? The simple child. Then you're going to go to the child that can't ask Nebuch. And ultimately you'll tell me that there could be even a child that could be wicked, the Russia. That would make sense. Why put the Russia next to the Chacham? You don't want them sitting next to each other. You don't want, God forbid, the Rasha to influence the Chacham. Although, you would take it for granted that your Chacham would influence the Rasha before he gets influenced by the Rasha. But the question is, why does the Tera do this? Why does the Tera put the Chacham next to the Rasha and not at the end of the entire episode? at the end of the table. We learn this as a very important lesson, a life lesson, to how we need to serve God. Each and every person, each and every Jew, even if God forbid they sin, even if they do something that's not the way it should be in the way of a Jewish life, they need to know and they need to remember. 
Even though the Jew sins, he is a Jew. And this is also the explanations. In different svarim. Each and every one of the sons, when he says and describes the four sons, Echad Chochem, Echad Rosha, Echad Tom, Echad Sheni Deilishom. One is such, one is such, one is such. Echad, Gematria 13, of course. Echad is the point, the very focal point of Judaism. Sometimes this point is revealed and sometimes it's hidden in different ways. But the godly neshama finds itself within each and every Jew. So when you have the Echod Rosha Rachman al-Islam, that one wicked child, that his Echod, his essence of God is hidden, is not in total revelation, and therefore we look at him as a wicked person. We need to work on this person. We need to bring out their Jewish essence, their Jewish spark. And who is obligated to the Chokom? This is his obligation. He can lift up and raise up this person, this child, from this horrific exile, personal exile, of their Echod. And therefore we put the Russia next to the Chokom, so that he should influence him. He should involve himself with him. And he should raise him up to Bechina's Echod, to his true echad. May we merit Neichom and Azvachim and Absachim to eat from the Karban Pesach this very year and to find ourselves in Harabayas, in the Bayas of Tlishi, and we should merit to see and to be with Mashiach Tzidkenu this Shabbos, this Pesach, as we wish Chakasha Sameach to each and every one of us each and every one of our brethren and may we all be able to redeem ourselves from our personal exiles Chag Sameach Shabbat Shalom to all please remember that Kiddush Matzah Shabbos will necessitate a a Havdola as well and therefore the Seder Matzah Shabbos needs to start well after nightfall. Shabbat shalom and chag sameh.